passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, I don't know if there's anything um, more frustrating to me than the feeling of being useless. Just being useless. The, the feeling of uselessness can come from a number of different places. Uh, we can feel useless when we encounter something that's just outside of our control. Uh, this is the way I feel anytime it hails, because no matter what I attempt to do, there's not really all that much you can do to, to prevent property damage. Either it's going to happen or it's not, right, when it comes to hail. You just have to kind of sit there and wait. We can feel useless when we find something that is beyond our skill set. That's especially true when you don't have any skills like me. We can feel useless when we are facing injury or illness and it takes away something that we uh, were able to do at one point and now we find ourselves unable to do that very thing. We become hyper aware of the functions that we were once able to do and that we took for granted because now we're not able to do them. And maybe that word useless can describe all too often the way that you feel when it comes to the church. And I'm not saying that that's the way you should feel by any means, but maybe you feel useless in how can I contribute to the church? How can I be used by God? And maybe that's because of your past. You, you think you've got too many mistakes, too much brokenness in the past to ever be used by God in a way that can make a difference. Or maybe you look around at, at other people and, and you just feel inadequate. You, you look at how much other people know, they seem to have their lives together, and you're like, wow, how can, how can God ever use someone like me? But in that place, in that sense of, of self-worth, or, or really this lack thereof of self-worth, what if Jesus had a different plan for us? What if Jesus had a different plan for each and every one of us? What if there was a way for us, no matter where we are this morning, no matter what kind of baggage we bring to the table, where we are on this spectrum of faith, what if Jesus says, you know what, there's a way for you to be useful. There's a way for you to be useful to the master. And what if this pursuit of usefulness comes not from a place of duty, not from a, a sense of, I have to pay God back because I owe him for what he has done for me. Not, not if, as if this is some sort of transaction, but instead, what if this came from a place of delight? Just to, to be honest, speaking as a dad, I don't think there are many more things that bring greater joy to my heart than seeing my kids pick up the house. That sounds terrible, but uh, it's not because I'm a taskmaster. It's not because I've coerced them or we're in some sort of bargain. Uh, I, I just, I just, well, it's not even because I like seeing things put away, even though that's true. It's not so much the, the action that I care about as much as the heart behind the action. That in a very real way, they're actually joining me on mission and picking up the house. Crystal was gone for a couple days this, this past week, and believe me, we had to be on a mission to pick up the house before she got home. And they're joining me, and I don't really care so much about the actions as much as I do behind, as, the, as the heart behind those actions. And what if God was the same way? That he cared less about us being useful because he's, he just wants us to be productive and he wants everything to, to result in something. And what if he just wanted us to, to be useful because he cared about the heart behind those 
actions. And that's what this morning's text is all about. This morning we're in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. We were originally going to be going through 20 through 26, but this little phrase, useful to the master here in verse 21, I just, I think it's so valuable for us to just consider and, and just wrestle with what exactly does it look like for me, for you, whether you're watching at home or, or whether you're here in person, what would it look like for you to be useful to the master. And the reality is every single one of us, no matter where we are in our faith, whether we feel useless, rudderless in the church, like God could never ever use someone like me, or if we are on the other side of the spectrum, that we might even think that we're a little too valuable, that we have a little too much to offer to God and to his kingdom, that this is a message that has a lot to say for each and every one of us, gives us simple steps on how we can be useful to the master. So let's ask this question together. How, how can I, how can I be useful to Jesus, to the master? That's our, our focus this morning. I mentioned 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. If you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read aloud. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Amen. Let's, uh, let's attempt to, to unpack exactly what Paul is saying here, answering this question, how can I be useful to the master? How can I be useful to Jesus? We're going to work our way through these two verses. I want to just read, a, read them for us again uh, to, to kind of unpack exactly what Paul is saying. He starts with this word picture in verse 20. Notice what he says. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, Paul's picture here that he starts with, probably something that each and every one of us is familiar with, and in some ways, we're probably actually more familiar with it than his original context, because he's talking about this great house. He's, he's implying that this is a, a person who has a lot of wealth, has a lot of possessions, and that's not something that every single person in, in the church in Ephesus would have had. They would have had to imagine those who are wealthy. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of possessions in my house, probably too many, and, and, and Paul is, is is saying, I want you to picture this house, and this house is filled with all of these different types of vessels. And this word vessel is a, is a really generic term. It can, it can refer to anything from a serving bowl all the way to a garbage can. In fact, Paul, as he's writing this, remember, this is an age before running water. And because there wasn't running water, there were these chamber pots, these vessels that were the equivalent of a toilet. And so what Paul is saying is like, you look at this house, you look at any house, and there's going to be a lot of different types of vessels. There's a lot of different types of, of utensils and, and things that you can, can imagine when you think of this house. And all of these different vessels, they have, they have different purposes. I remember when our oldest was just starting to pull himself up, and I was 
Thankfully, I wasn't brushing my teeth. I was washing my hands in the bathroom, and he pulls himself up on the toilet, and he sees me, he looks over, he sees me washing my hands in water, and so he decides to do the exact same thing and puts his hands in the toilet, starts washing his hands. Not exactly something that, that any of us would recommend because a toilet is not the same thing as a sink, even though they both have water in them, right? Or if you're hosting a, a party for a bunch of family and friends, you're not going to serve the punch out of the garbage can. You have a special vessel for that. If you have children in diapers, you're not going to take those soiled diapers and throw them into the Tupperware containers that you normally put your leftovers in. You're going to put them in the garbage can. Different vessels have different purposes in the house. And to use Paul's language here, Paul says that some of these vessels, they have an honorable use. They're made out of gold. They're made out of silver. What he's got in mind are these family heirlooms like fine china that you pull out for special occasions. On the contrast, you have things that are for dishonorable use, things that are like a trash can or the toilet, et cetera, et cetera. And as Paul is talking about all of these different things, he's, he's saying, you know what, I want you to consider that, that because there are these different vessels, there's some for honorable use, there's some for dishonorable use, I don't want you to, to imagine that this is all are, are, are valuable in God's house. Now certainly, he says that in other places. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about how we are all the body of Christ and all of us have a different part to play in the church. He says that there are some that are in a very honorable or, or visible role and some that are in a very dishonorable role. And he says this, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses similar language. He says, you know what, whether you have an honorable use or a dishonorable use, you have a part to play in God's kingdom. But that's not what he's saying here. While that's true, that's not what he is saying here. He's, he's not saying that the, the trash can may not be as presentable as the serving pitcher, but both are essential to the house. And again, that's, that's true. His point instead hinges on this word dishonorable. Or to, to use our metaphor that I've kept coming back to, this idea of being dirty like a garbage can. That's what he says at the beginning of verse, chapter, uh, verse 21. He says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. So let's just take a step back and, and recognize that Paul's metaphor here, it, it begins to break down. I don't care how much you clean a trash can. I'm probably not ever going to use it as my first choice for serving liquids that we're going to drink out of, right? We don't get, use, we don't get done with a, a garbage can and go ahead and put it over there with all of the, the coffee and we serve coffee out of this garbage can. That's, that's not what we do. That might not be the case in the house, but what Paul is saying is that when it comes to following Jesus, that is possible. That those who are soiled, those who are dirty, those who are dishonorable, they can still be used in an honorable way provided that they cleanse themselves. And before we jump into the specifics of what exactly does it mean to cleanse ourselves, I think it's appropriate 
And just using Paul's metaphor here to ask ourselves, what kind of vessel am I? Right now, what kind of vessel am I? Am I someone who's committed to the honorable things or am I someone who is committed to dishonorable things? If we've been following along in, in 2 Timothy to this point, Paul, to this point in this letter, he, he fills in the gaps of, of what he has in mind when he's talking about honorable things, dishonorable things. He's talking about suffering and affliction and faithfulness to Jesus. That to be honorable is to remain steadfast, com- committed to Jesus in the midst of your hardship and your affliction. Even if your faith wavers, it does not falter. The remaining faithful to the end, even when that end is filled with hardship, that's the honorable thing that Paul has in mind. As people are abandoning Jesus and Paul in droves because of hardship and suffering, holding fast to Jesus, holding fast to the gospel, that is the honorable thing. In contrast, the dishonorable, according to Paul, people like Hymenaeus and Philetus, we looked at them last week, Phygelus and Hermogenes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, these people who have abandoned the gospel, that they've turned their backs on Paul, that they have, have said, I, I, I really don't want to suffer like Paul, and I really don't think that if Jesus is the person you are following faithfully, he will let you experience hardship and affliction. And so they compromise on their faith. They say, you know what, Jesus may be Lord, but he would never ask me to do something that is going to make me uncomfortable. And these are the dishonorable things that Paul has in mind when he is talking about dishonorable vessels here. And I don't know about you, but, but I see a little too much of that in my own life. That I can say that, you know what, Jesus, you are Lord, that you are Lord of my entire life, and yet there are certain areas of my life where I remain seated on the throne in control, unwilling to give him control of my life. And as I begin to think about this, I I begin to realize, well, maybe I'm not as honorable of a vessel as I thought. That there's room for improvement, that there is room for me to become increasingly useful to the master. What about you? What kind of vessel are you? The good news of this text, wherever you are this morning, is that Jesus makes a promise. He makes a, a promise to us. We read it a few verses or a few minutes earlier at the beginning of verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Here we have Jesus is the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, 10,000th chances, that as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is an opportunity for you to cleanse yourself and to make yourself useful to King Jesus. Let me read this again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's the heart of this text. It's never too late to be useful to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much of your life you have wasted. 
It's never too late to be useful to Jesus. But what exactly does it look like for us to cleanse ourselves, to, to, to make ourselves useful to Jesus, to, to get rid of these dishonorable things so that way we can be used in an honorable way? Well, that's what we want to focus on the rest of our time here. I, I think there's, there's three key ways that Paul is hitting on in these verses of what it looks like for us to cleanse ourselves. So let's go ahead and, and look at each of these on how we can be useful to the master. The first one is this, to turn away from wrong thoughts about God and turn toward the true gospel. To turn from wrong thoughts about God and turn toward the true gospel. Whether we realize it or not, we have a tendency to think wrong thoughts about who God is and what God is like. Oftentimes, because we operate in a society that is one of give and take, we assume that God is the same, that the Christian life is a life of transaction. If God does X for me, then I need to do Y for him. When I was in college, uh, my favorite television show was The Office. And one of the characters in The Office, his name is Dwight, he was, uh, there's an episode where he's dead set on getting one of his coworkers, Jim, fired. And so what he does is, is he begins to do all of these kind things for people in the office. He has this, he's, he, he's deluded in many ways, but he, he, he convinces himself that if he does a nice, enough nice things for other people in the office, then they will owe him enough favors that he can pull the trigger and get Jim fired. There's a lot of problems with this plan, but of course that's part of, of Dwight's character if you are... Uh, you know him. And uh, he'd do all these nice things for people, and he'd have this fake smile on, on his face, and, and uh, someone would say, hey, thank you so much. And he'd say, hey, no problem. And then he'd just get dead serious and say, you owe me. And he'd do it to every single person in the office. The only problem, well, many problems with his plan. One of the problems with his plan is another coworker, his name Andy. He hates owing people anything. And so he goes out of his way to pay Dwight back instantly. And the favors that he owes Dwight, he pays them back. And I think all too often we have a tendency to think of God a little bit like Dwight, that he can, he can be fake smiling at us when he does something kind for us. And then the moment we turn our back, he says, you owe me. And we can have this tendency to think, I have to pay God back no matter what he has done for me. I have to pay him back and I have to do it instantly. Otherwise, he is going to be upset with me. We assume that there are strings that are attached to God's kindness. We didn't read the fine print. And we owe God for what he has done for us. And in one sense, of course, that is true. We owe Jesus our entire lives. But not in this sense that we can actually pay him back for what he has done for us. He gives us grace and he pardons us freely. One author puts our mistaken view of God in perspective for us. He says this, What would we say to a seven-year-old who upon being given a birthday gift by his loving father immediately scrambled to reach for his piggy bank to try to pay his dad back? How painful that would be to a father's heart. That child needs to change his very view of who his father is and what his father delights to do. I think oftentimes we have uh, the same false view of God and, and who he is and what he is like, and we need it to be transformed by the reality of what the Bible actually tells us that he is like. For Timothy and his church, that meant that they had to, to get rid of this danger of false teaching, that they were calling for compromise in their face. If the people of God are going to be useful to God, they have to stop thinking the wrong way about him. 
And the answer is is pretty easy. If, If we need to know what God is like, then we need to go to where he has revealed himself in Scripture, in the Bible. We have to realize that God doesn't say, God helps those who help himself, but instead says, let the wicked return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The Bible is one of the most precious gifts that God has given to his people because in it we see what God is really like. We see that God is not a God who begrudgingly pardons or half-heartedly pardons or conditionally pardons, but abundantly pardons. And if we want to be useful to Jesus, then we have to start by making sure that we know who he actually is, what he is actually like to turn from our wrong thoughts about God and turn toward the true gospel. Second way to cleanse ourselves, turn away from the old life and turn toward a transformed life. This is one of Paul's primary concerns at the end of of 2 Timothy chapter 2, the beginning of of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Once the people in Ephesus, in this church that he is writing to, to chase after the fruit of, of a transformed life and to leave behind the old way, old way of doing things. He describes this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's a long list. What Paul is saying is that that's what the old life is like. And what I want you to do is I want you to turn away from that and I want you to turn toward this new life, this transformed life. In the context of chapter 3, Paul seems to be suggesting that these false teachers in Ephesus, they're like this, and if you follow them, then you are going to be like them, that you are going to be dishonorable like them. So rather than being like that, what I want you to do is instead to be concerned with pleasing Jesus. We're going to look at this verse next week, verse 22. He tells us what it looks like for us to be set apart as holy. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. A transformed life is all-encompassing. It's, it's far more than just putting a filter on the words that you speak, not wa- watching certain things on TV. It's not just being polite to people when you see them out and about around town. A transformed life is, un- unoriginally, a life that is completely transformed. Every single facet of your life transformed by the gospel. That means that your vocation, whether, whatever it is, is utterly transformed. Efficiency, expediency, productivity, good things, but they should become secondary to seeing how your work contributes to the flourishing of people. That no matter what your vocation is, God has a part for you to play in establishing his kingdom here on earth and seeing the flourishing of all of human society. 
So for teachers, that means meeting the needs of students as much as possible. For students, that means not just working half-heartedly, but trying your best and trying to honor those who are in positions of authority over you, those who are in supervisor roles. It means caring about those that you are actually supervising for those that are in the medical profession. It means actually looking at your work as contributing, as a foretaste of God's plan to bring restoration at the end. That you get to to show people a glimpse of what the new creation is going to be like. And on and on and on and on, no matter what our vocation is, a a transformed life is all-encompassing. And when you pursue a transformed life, a life that is more and more and more like Jesus, then you become more useful to the Master. The end of verse 21, we see one final piece of cleansing ourselves. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Those who would be useful to Jesus will turn toward a life of good works. They will turn toward a life of good works. Elsewhere, Paul, he's he's writing to the church in Ephesus, actually the same church that he's writing to right now when he's writing this letter to Timothy. He says that good works are a part of God's purpose for salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, or for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says something similar to Titus, one of these people that he has discipled in the book of Titus. He talks about Jesus' saving work in Titus, but notice this emphasis on the purpose of what Jesus has done for us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Why did Jesus come to save us? Among other reasons, it is to purify for himself a people for his own possession that belong to him, his people, and that this people will be zealous for good works, that it should be overflowing from who they are. Jesus cares about the life that you lead. He cares not just about your thoughts. He cares about whether you actually care about other people especially those that you may not like. He cares about what you do with your time, with your talents and your gifts. He cares what you do with your money, with your treasure. And he says that those who who take this seriously, that those who are going to take the steps to be useful to the master, that they will be the ones who are ready for every good work. And that's what this text ultimately boils down to. It forces each and every one of us first to ask this question, do I even want to be useful to Jesus? Or am I I happy here? Am I happy with where I'm at? 
half-heartedly following him, half-heartedly contributing to him, or do I want to actually be increasingly useful to Jesus? And it gives us the answer. If you want to be useful to Jesus, then live a clean life. Live a clean life. That means having a, a, a transformed view of what God is like in the gospel. It means living a transformed life. It means living a life of good works. But it starts with the gospel. It means if you haven't responded to the news of what Jesus has done for his people, the, that passage from Titus talking about it, that's where you need to start. You can't be useful to Jesus if you don't know Jesus. That's common sense. And if you don't know him, this, this grace of God that has appeared offering salvation to all people, to use the language of Titus, it means to come to him in repentance and faith. Faith means trusting that Jesus is able to save us from the brokenness of our lives. That we have made a mess of our lives. Even though we may have said through our words or, or through our actions that we want nothing to do with Jesus' lordship, the fact that Jesus actually has control over us, that we don't want anything to do with that. In spite of that, in spite of the fact that we deserve nothing from him, that he has made a way for us to enter into his presence. That's what faith really is, believing that God has made a way for us to enter into his presence, even though we don't deserve it. But he's the type of God that keeps his promises. We're fully convinced that he is able to do what he has promised. That's faith. And repentance means to live this life of, of good works, to be useful to the master. To again, using the language of, of Titus here, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. If you want to be useful to Jesus, it starts with the gospel. And then it leads to a clean life. Several years ago, and, and many of you may not know this or remember this story, there was a man who started attending our church, and uh, he was actually basically coerced into attending because of his brother. His brother essentially forced him to and shortly after he started attending, he, um, he gave his life to the Lord. He became a Christian, left behind this life of bitterness toward God and, and toward others, uh, became a Christian, um, new life in Christ. And, and like a week after he gave his life to the Lord, he was, di he was diagnosed with unoperable brain cancer. And after a few short months, he died. Was he able to be useful to the master in just those few short months. His brother shared at our church, um, this is when we were back at the auditorium, he, he shared it at our church about the ways that Jesus had actually transformed his brother um, from this bitter man into someone who, while he was in the midst of, of hospice care, that God used him as a beacon of hope for those that he was interacting with, even in those short few months, and he didn't have a lot of interactions with other people. He didn't have much to offer in the world's eyes, and yet Jesus used what he did offer. He was useful to the master. And that can be true of, of every single one of us. It is never too late for us to be useful to King Jesus if you want to be. If you want to be increasingly useful to Jesus. If you want to actually take the steps to, to cleanse your life, the, the hard work of, of, of transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more and more like 
Jesus. It's never too late. It's never too late to live a clean life. And when we do that, when we pursue a life that that recognizes who God really is, this life that is transformed, this life that is committed to good works, even if we aren't the, the most gifted person out there, honestly, that's the type of God or person that God uses. It's not those who have their lives all together, but those who humbly come to him and say, I don't have a lot to offer, Lord. But what I do offer, it's yours. And those are the type of people that are useful to Jesus. Do you want to be useful to the Lord? Let's live a clean life. Let's pray. Lord, as I, um, as I consider this text and just the, the challenge that it is to, to me, God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to be a people who are zealous for good works, that live a transformed life, that seek you in the scriptures so that way we can see what you are really like. And God, we wouldn't do this to earn favor from you or to pay you back for what you have done, but just simply because we earnestly desire to please you, to see a smile on your face, to be faithful, to be faithful to the end. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.